Hello. Hello. Let me set the scene for you. You're building your life after losing your husband or wife. And the new person you're taking a chance on is a little way too similar to your deceased husband or wife. Now, if you want to hear the rest of the story, welcome to Jenny and Chels. I'm Jenny. And I'm Chels. And today, we have great stories for you. Also, how many days do you think you can go before you turn cannibal if you had no food? And would you rather be homeless or be killed by your partner in comfort? Now, these are the stories we have for you today. All right. I am, uh, I don't know how many days it will take me to become a cannibal, but I'm wondering what traits are we talking about when you say similar to my deceased partner or husband? I need that you asked. You have to just listen and find out. Okay, let's hear it then. So this is from the No Sleep subreddit on Reddit, obviously. Mm -hmm. And the title says, he always kissed me with his eyes open. And now I know why. And trigger warning, it has animal abuse in the story. But keep in mind, it's a fake story. I know you're awake. Catherine, Catherine, shut up. I had been awake for a little while, just staring at the wall. I knew it. Can you not sleep? I rolled over and looked at him as I asked the question. Jens was in his rocking chair in the corner of our bedroom, right next to the window. The moon outside was illuminating his face. I'm okay. Just got a lot on my mind. Like what? I did my best to set up. I was almost at my due date, and I was enormous. During the pregnancy, I wasn't quite as sensitive to his little issues that I normally was. James suffered from severe bouts of anxiety and he would spend lots of nights just rocking his chair, trying not to worry about things. I think you should get a dog. What? You should get a dog. Every kid should grow up with a dog. He turned his head to look at me. Most of his haze was in the shadow, but his eyes were bright. He smiled at me. Okay, is that it? This what's been keeping you up? Yes. Oh, and also, I love you. I love you too. And I farted. I had never known James to end anything on any kind of sappy note. So he always had to say or do something childish to ruin the moment. I love them so much. He's kind of gross. There are so many dogs at the shelter, but my husband immediately went to the mangiest one. A large mutt with his large tongue limpy out of the side of his mouth. The mousy brown fur looked like someone had teased it with a brush and sealed it with an entire can of hairspray. And he had a slight limp as he walked towards his strange new man, making baby talk. I watched the dog cock his head from side to side like it understood what James was saying. He's perfect. I could tell James was in love. Why him? Well, every other little guy in here is so animated and vibrant. He is, um, not. He looks like an oversized mouse with a bad hair. That's perfect. What? We can call him Fever. Does Fever like that name? Who is a booga boob doggy? Who's that booga doggy? 
the dog started making inquisitive whines, and that lazy tongue came to life and began to lick the strange man's fingers through the chain link fence. Fivo came home with us, and for a month, that dog never left my husband's side. What happened? Can you put me on speaker so Art can hear me? Okay, you scare me, Catherine. I was trying to hold it together. James' parents had, had recently moved to the East Coast, so I had no choice but to call them on the phone with the news. Okay, you're on speaker. Okay, James, um, James had an accident. It was hit and run. Someone hit him with a car while he was crossing the street and then just kept driving. Oh my God, is he all right? He's, um, I had been with James since our sophomore year in high school, but we had been friends since we were six and I had known his parents for almost just that long. He's, he's gone. Oh my God. I had to make lots of phone calls that day. It was the hardest day of my life. Mommy needs to talk to you. Fever had been pacing the house for three days. When, he's, when he wasn't pacing, he would just sit at the front door waiting for James to come home. He wouldn't sit with me. Almost like he blamed me for James not being there. Come here, Fivo. Come here. He finally gave in and walked over to the couch. I patted the cushion next to me and he jumped on the couch and sat down. He grunted at me several times, and when he was done voicing his frustrations, his tongue jutted out to the side of his mouth and just hung there. I don't know if it sounds stupid or not, but I had a conversation with him about what happened to his daddy and why he wasn't with us anymore. I felt like it would have been cruel not to. He stared at me through the whole story, and when I was finished, there was a heavy silence between us that was eventually broken by a small cry from him before he put his head on my lap. Three weeks later, I had Casey. The birth was rough and there was multiple issues. For a little bit there, I was afraid that I might lose her too. She had to stay in the hospital longer than I would have liked. But when I was finally able to bring her home, Fievel took to her instantly. He was always next to her. As the years went by, I made sure Casey knew every details about her father. I would tell her stories and Fivo would always had something on his, in his own language. I don't know if he was backing up what I was saying or perhaps contradicting it, but I do know he was always happy to be included in the reminiscing. Shortly after she turned four, Casey's favorite pastime was drawing with her crayons. I had quite a few pictures up on our fridge of our little family in the midst of imagined adventures. She always drew James with us. The way she always emphasized his balding head would make me smile. I would barbecue on Friday nights because James had always done the same. When we first moved in, he built that huge grilling station out of bricks and bought this ridiculously large grill that could almost fit an entire cow inside of it. James had said he would need it for the amount of children and grandchildren that we were about to have. We would sit in front of it every Friday night with a bottle of whiskey while he cooked. 
Casey and I would sit at the same table and have juice while we made hot dogs. I thought it was important to keep some of our traditions alive for Casey. In spite of losing James, we were happy. I started to adjust to a life without a partner, which was not a very easy thing to do since we had been a part of each other's life since we were both six years old. Almost five years after I lost James, I met Steven. I was a busy woman with a young daughter, and up to that point, I had not even thought about dating. There was something different about Steven though. I was interested in him from the first time I met, we met. Casey and I were playing in the park with Evil one day, and somehow we lost him. He just vanished. I looked for him for hours while my mom watched Casey, but I couldn't find him. For three days, I was beside myself, and Casey was constantly in tears. Then Stephen showed up on my doorstep holding our Evil at the end of a leash. A tall man with thick hair and trending glasses, wearing a flannel and jeans. Oh my God! Hi, um, uh, found him in the park down by the river. I snatched him up and he started whimpering and shaking his butt back and forth. I completely ignored the man at the door. When Fievel had had enough of my pets, he ran inside to look for Casey. Thank you so much, oh my God. You have no idea how much we missed him. I was wiping tears from my eyes. Oh, I might have a clue. Thank you, no problem. As I was wiping my nose on my sleeves of my sweatshirt, I realized that the man standing at my door was gorgeous. Can I? Let me give you some money or something. You have no idea how happy you just made my daughter. No, that's okay. Just happy to help. Thank you. There was something about the way he looked me with his eyes. My stomach fluttered. I wanted to invite him in, and the fact that I wanted to do so, that, that just upset me. I thanked him. I didn't even ask him for his name. I admit that I even closed the door on him a little more abruptly than I meant to. All three of us shared a bed that night. It was the best night. It was the best night's sleep I've had in years. A couple of weeks went by, and then I saw him again. The man who had found Fievel, he was sitting in the park with his bark against the tree, reading a book. Casey and I had been taking turns throwing the frisbee to Fievel, and I saw him out of the corner of my eye. I decided that I would thank him again and apologize for being so awkward. As I walked closer, I took in every detail. I was sure he was a few years younger than I was. He looked very athletic. His glasses rested on the tip of his nose as he read from the winter of a discontent. Steinbeck has always been my favorite author. Fivo must have seen him just as I was about to say something because he reached the man before I did. I could hear Casey calling for me. Hold on, honey. G give me a second. Fivo was all over the man. He was laughing at the writhing, whining beast who was trying his best to lick every inch of his face. Fivo, don't be rude. No, it's fine. I'm glad he remembers me. Yeah, wow, he really remembers you. Fievel was so excited that he started to whimper and expose his tummy. Fievel, have some self-respect. The man stood up next to me. My stomach was fluttered again, and I could not stop looking at his eyes. Hey, I have to apologize about um, the way I kind of shut the door in your face. He laughed. 
<laughs> you don't have to apologize. Mommy! Casey ran up behind me as I was partially and was partially hiding herself behind my leg while she stared at the man. Mommy! Oh, this is my daughter, Casey. Hello, Casey. Hello. My name is Steven. Casey stayed behind my leg. It's okay, honey. Tell him your name. I'm Casey, and this is my mom. Her name is Catherine. Well, you are a very pretty girl, and it's very nice to meet you. I noticed that his eyes started to tear up while he was looking at my Casey. He wiped his eyes and shook his head. He was clearly embarrassed. I'm sorry, she just reminds me of my niece. We lost her a few years ago. We talked for a while that day. Every time he looked over at Casey, I swore that he was on the verge of tears. It didn't take very long at all. I was hooked. Fever was hooked. Eventually, even Casey was hooked. I tried to take it slow. I didn't want to date anyone. I wasn't over James and I knew it. But I just wanted to be around this man and I honestly could not explain what it was at the time. I always wanted him in the house. So he was there all the time. I loved it when he looked at me. For the most part, he was great. But there were some things that were off. There were things I could have paid more attention to. But again, there was something about him that made me feel like I needed him. He would kiss me with his eyes open every time. And even though the way he kissed me was great, something about it still gave me the creeps. I would crack my eyes open sometimes in hopes that he had stopped doing it. Every time I saw those eyes staring back at me, I felt uneasy. I had only ever been with James, so I thought maybe some guys just did that, even though all of my friends thought it was weird too. He also did things when he would come over that would raise the hairs on the back of my neck. Maybe that description is a little too harsh for what I was thinking at the time, but it fits now. He would move things around the house. The toilet paper would be folded in that terrible triangle every time. James used to do that. He would also randomly adjust my coffee cups in the cabinet so the handles all face the same way. Again, something my James used to do. I had no idea what he did for a living. He told me he was in construction. But I had no idea who he worked for. And he had never invited me over to his house nor did he ever talk about his family. My friends told me that I needed to relax and just enjoy myself. I admit for the most part, he seemed like the almost perfect guy. It was almost like he knew everything about me. It was three months before he stayed overnight. I had Casey stay over at my mother's home because it didn't feel right to have her there. We tried to be intimate, but I felt dirty. He said it was fine, he stayed anyway. In the middle of the night, I rolled over and cracked my eyes open. He was in the rocking chair, in the corner. The moon was illuminating his eyes while he looked out the window. I thought I was dreaming for a minute. I know you're awake, Catherine. Catherine. I didn't say anything. I pretended to sleep. He turned his face to me and smiled. His eyes were so wide and bright. Catherine? I never went back to sleep that night. I just laid there for a while, going back and forth, from feeling like I was betraying my husband to feeling like I was an idiot who, just should, who should just enjoy having a relationship with someone. 
around four in the morning, I had finally begun to drift off to sleep, but Steven started making noises. I rolled over and realized that his eyes were wide open. I was going to say something, but he was asleep. I waved my hands in front of his face to make sure. He began to grunt and his body would shake every now and then. He was having a bad dream and his open eyes began darting back and forth. Get out of my head, he whispered. He whispered it twice. Fuck you, out of my head. My, now. It was too much to take. I quietly slid off the bed and backed my way out of the room. Just as I made it to the door, his eyes moved and focused on me. He was still asleep, but it was like his eyes were watching me, just the same. I walked downstairs. He continued to talk in his sleep for over an hour. I was pretty sure right there and then I had to break it off, or at least really take it slow. I just didn't feel right. And to be honest, I was a little creeped out. I was drinking my coffee in the kitchen and thinking about what I was going to say when something caught my eye. Casey's pictures of our family on the fridge looked different. I got up and took a closer look. James had, James had been changed in every picture. He didn't have short hair anymore. It was full. He was also wearing glasses. My heart skipped a bit and I felt a terrible lump in my throat. I wonder what this man had said to my daughter to convince her to remove her father from the pictures. I was done. A few minutes later, he came downstairs in a rush. He was wearing a black flogging Molly t-shirt. James' favorite t-shirt. What are you doing? Good morning. I forgot to turn up the alarm. I'm going to be late for work. Steven, why are you wearing that shirt? I found it in your closet. But why are you wearing it? Well, in case you forgot, I ripped the one I was wearing last night. That's my husband's shirt. Oh, come on. He's not going to be wearing it anytime soon. I gotta go. I'll see you after work. He leaned in for a kiss, but I backed up. What's the matter? I don't think this is gonna work out. What? I think we need to take a break. Over a t-shirt? There's, there's a lot of things, Steven. Are you being fucking serious with me right now? His voice raised. Something I had not yet experienced with him. Something in my head told me to back away from him. So I did. I backed right up against the counter, within reach of the knives. It made me feel better. I think so. But I don't want to do that. Tell me what I did and I'll fix it. I'll take off the shirt, Catherine, please. I looked right into his eyes. I thought maybe I was overreacting. But the pictures... Messing with my daughter to erase her father? That was the breaking point. But that was the breaking point. Please, leave. The kindness in his eyes fell away to an ugliness that made me start to tremble. He noticed it. A smile slowly started to rise and he looked like he was going to take a step closer. I rested my hands on the counter behind me. Inches from the knife block, he halted and stood still. Fevo? My dog ran into the kitchen at the sound of my voice and looked back and forth between us. I could tell that he sensed the tension. Fevo walked over to my side and just looked back at Steven without making a sound. Are you going to sick the dog on me? 
Are you crazy or something? Steven, I just want you to leave. I thought I did everything right. He let out a sigh. I had all the answers. I know everything about you and still can't make it work. This cannot be my fault. It's not. It's your fault. Why are you doing this? Leave. Now. Okay, I just... He started laughing and looked down. He tapped my husband's shirt. Well, shit. I tried to fuck Catherine, and all I got was a lousy t-shirt. Is that how it's going to end? He just stared at me. I wouldn't answer him. I don't think so. You're going to change your mind. He turned away and walked out of the door, slamming it behind him. After he left, I locked all the doors and called my mother. I told her what happened and not to take Casey to daycare. I told her that I would be able to pick her up in just a little bit. I called all my friends and let them know what happened. I basically wanted to hear other, people's, other people tell me that Steven was nuts. And in the event that something happened to me, I wanted people to know where to look first. I ripped all of Casey's drawing off the fridge, crumbled them, and threw them away. I walked back upstairs to get dressed and noticed other things. I had only kept a few clothes that belonged to my husband, and some of them were missing. I had a small jewelry box on, in, on the bathroom counter, and most of the rings and necklaces that James had given me were also missing. I walked through the house and began to notice random little things were missing here and there. And the only thing that they all had in common were that they were gifts given to me by James. Before I picked up Casey at my mother's, I called the police to see if anything could be done, even though I was pretty sure that I knew the answer. Other than being a creep and a thief, Stephen actually hadn't done anything. There was nothing the police could do. I took Casey to the park to explain to her why Stephen wouldn't be around anymore. Fever was sitting next to her in the back seat. I started as by asking her about her drawings. I didn't change them. Casey, honey, I saw them this morning. They are changed. You changed the way daddy looks. But I didn't, mommy. I wouldn't do that. Maybe Steven did. You think Steven took your crayons and changed your drawings? Maybe he thought he was going to be my new daddy anyway, so maybe he thought it would be a good idea. Wait, who said he was going to be your new daddy? He did. He said it lots. When we got to the park, I made sure Casey stayed right next to me. We started throwing the frisbee down by the river so Fivo could play in the water if he wanted. But I asked her some more questions about Steven and anything else he might have said to her. It didn't sound like he said much more. We were about to leave when Casey started waving at someone. Thing. Look, mommy, it's Steven. He was standing on the other side of the river, and he was waving back to us. He was wearing a button-up shirt and a pair of jeans that both belonged to my husband. He was smiling at me. Mommy? Yes? Are you mad at Steven or something? Yes, honey. I don't think we're going to be talking to Steven anymore. I think he needs to go away. I reached down and scooped up my daughter and began to walk back to our car. We're going home. Come on, Fivo. Fivo? My dog has been staring at Steven and he still hadn't moved. Fivo, come on. Steven whistled, 
and that was enough of evil. He jumped into the river and began swimming towards the other side. I called after him over and over, but he eventually made it to the other side and ran over to Stephen. He gave me one last wave before he reached down and clipped the leash onto Fievel's collar. He turned around and started to walk away. I ran back to the car and put Casey in her car seat as fast as I could, and I drove to the parking lot on the other side of the river. But by the time I got there, he was gone with our dog. I filled out a police report and tried to get a restraining order. Okay, so here's the problem. You said his name was Steven Tasavo? That's right. Okay, look, this is not going to make you feel any better. But this man doesn't exist. What? He gave you a false name, miss. Couldn't find anybody by that name fitting his description. You got him on social media anywhere? Does he have any friends? I, I don't know. I don't have any of that crap in social media, man. I guess I just never asked him about any of it. We've only been seeing each other a few months. Well, from the pictures you took on your phone, we know that we know what he looks like. We're going to keep an eye out for him. Whoever he is, I suggest you keep your doors locked and inform the people at your daughter's school. If there's anywhere else you can go, I don't think that would be a bad idea. I went home that night anyway. Casey was a mess after Stephen took fever. And I thought that it would be a mistake if I didn't give her some sense of normalcy. I had four friends stay stay with me that night. A month later, I got a call from a number I didn't recognize. Hello? Don't hang up the phone, Catherine. Fee will really want to hear your voice. You sick fuck. Give me back my dog. He was quiet for a moment. I've got you on speaker and you're saying nasty things like that? He can hear everything you're saying, can't you? Can't you? Who's the boogaboo-boog doggy? Who's the doggy? Steven, I'll do whatever you want, please. Just, just give me my dog back. Come on, Catherine. I know you know that's not my name. What is your name? You know, I thought I had to become someone else to be with you. But I don't think so. I'm going to like you getting to know me, the real me. Please, just give me my dog. I'm going to make you see that it's our destiny that your husband died. I'm going to make you see that his death was what it took to bring us together. You son of a bitch. Anyways, I'll see you soon. He hung up the phone. I called the police, and after that night, I didn't hear anything from Stephen for two months. Two months of looking over my shoulders. Two months of waiting. I bought a gun. I kept it in the drawer of my bedside table. I wasn't taking any chances. I woke up with a start in the middle of the night. And I heard the sound of a muffled whining. I sat up in the bed and looked around my bedroom before I grabbed the gun and got up. I walked to my window and noticed that it was was slightly open. I looked down into the backyard. Smoke was pouring out from underneath the closed lid of the grill. It looked like something was tied around the handle in order to keep it shut. I ran downstairs to the patio door, opened it, and held the gun in front of me. The smell of something burning was making me sick to my stomach. Something was crying out inside the grill, frantically trying to get out. 
My heart sank as I realized it was fever collar tied around the handle. I screamed and grabbed the hose and turned it on. I lunged for the lid in the grill and burned my hands as I tore away the collar from the handle. I threw the top of the grill open and sprayed the hose inside. Fever leaped out of the grill and down onto the brick patio. I soaked him with the hose. A belt had been tied around his muzzle. I ripped it off his face and kept the water on him. I turned to look back at the house. I didn't want to leave him, but I realized that I had left my phone upstairs. I opened my mouth to scream for help, but then I had a hard time making any sound when I saw what was on the patio table. There was a bottle of whiskey on it with two glasses that had already been poured. There was a note on the table. It's Friday night, time to barbecue. There was also something else on the table, a small thick rock. James and I had always kept it hidden among the other rocks in the backyard. It had a small compartment on the underside where we kept a spare key to our house. Stephen was in our house. I looked back down to Fievel. I was left with the awful decision of having to leave my dog. He was gasping for hair, but he was still alive. I had to go get Casey to make sure she was safe. Fievel, I'm sorry. I left the hose laying across him and ran back inside. As I ran up the stairs, I saw Casey's door was closed. And as I reached for the knob, I heard a familiar noise coming from my room. The sound of a rocking chair. I cracked open Casey's door and I could see that she was still asleep in her bed. Catherine! I closed the door and held the gun in front of me as I walked into my room. The man I knew as Steven was rocking in my husband's chair, wearing my husband's clothes and holding a house key that only myself and my husband knew about. I've missed you so much. I raised the gun without saying a word. My hand was shaking. He was smiling and rocking back and forth. You're not going to shoot me. Goodbye, Stephen. I pulled the trigger and nothing happened by a dry snap. I pulled the trigger again, but nothing happened. <clears throat> if you held that thing more often, you could probably tell that it's just a little heavier when it has bullets in it. I lunged from my bedside table and pulled the drawer open. The small box of bullet was gone. I unloaded it while you were asleep. He stood up. I ran for Casey's door, but he caught me before I could open it. I felt his hand go over my mouth and he picked me up by my shoulders. I struggled as he carried me closer to the top of the stairs. I've watched you sleep for so many nights now, just wondering how I could get you back. But. I think there might not be any saving of what we had. He hit me across the face and threw me down the stairs. I heard my ankles snap when I hit the floor and I screamed. His footsteps were quiet as he started walking down the stairs. We could have had a life together. I really wanted that. I even put something on the grill, but then you went and ruined that too. Mommy? Casey had run out of her bedroom and was at the top of the stairs looking down on us. Steven was just a few steps away from me. I started to crawl along the floor towards the kitchen. Go back to your room, Casey. Your mother and I are fighting. Casey, 
get mommy's phone and call for help, I screamed as I pulled myself along the floor and into the kitchen. All I could think was getting to the block of knives. Where do you think you're going off to? Wait, I know. Steven ran around me and to the kitchen counter. He picked up the block of knives and spilled them on the floor. Come and get them, Catherine. He walked back over and stood over me while I crawled toward the knives. He was laughing. To think, if someone hadn't killed your husband, none of this would have happened. I tried to shut his voice out of my head as I crawled forward. I was getting closer. You know, the person who hid him did actually stop for a moment. Just a moment. He opened his car door and almost ran over to help. But then something stopped him. Did you know that? Did you know that? He's lying, Catherine. Keep moving. I was there. If I close my eyes, I can still see the whole thing. If that guy had helped instead of just driving away, maybe James would have survived. And what I've had with you and Casey, all that would have never happened. I was right in front of the pile of knives. I reached out and then he stomped on my hand. I felt bones break. He leaned down, grabbed me, and turned me over to look at him. He was crying. I still think it was destiny that we brought us together. But I was wrong about you. You don't have any place in our family. Me and Casey? I'm going to take her far away from here. She is mine now. Tears were pouring out of his eyes. And he was trying to blink them away. But the tears couldn't stop. Son of a bitch. Stop it. Stop it. He rubbed his eyes with one hand. She's mine now. I brought my knees up as hard as I could between his legs as he dropped me on the floor. He fell to his knees right next to me. I could hear sirens outside. I reached out and grabbed the largest knife and raised it over my head, but before I could swing it down, he grabbed my wrist and started to squeeze. I felt the grip start to loosen, and I was afraid that I was going to drop the knife. He started to laugh as the sirens were getting closer. Looks like it's time we get these things over with. I felt his body slam against mine. And at first, I had no idea what happened. But then Stephen began to scream. And I could hear Fever growling behind him. Fever had managed to fit his jaw around the back of Stephen's neck. And buried his teeth to the gums. He was pulling Stephen away from me. Blood poured down either side of his throat. I tightened my grip on the knife and I pushed it into Stephen's stomach, stomach over and over again. Fievel eventually let go of Stephen and as I continued to plunge the knife into the mushy mess I had made, my dog limped over and started to whimper. As Stephen lay there gasping for breath, I stared at his eyes. They were staring back at me and he was no longer whimping. I felt crazy, but his eyes looked kind. They looked happy. How are you feeling? I remember the detective had this perfect voice. A Paul Winfield voice. Had the things he was about to tell me weren't so terrible, I would probably only remember how beautiful that voice was. I can't walk, but they got me so drugged up that I don't mind very much. I'm going to be able to go home tomorrow or 
to my mother's studies. How is your daughter doing? She's good. She's staying with my mother. I heard that hero dog is going to pull through. I smiled. Tears started coming up thinking of Vivo sitting somewhere without me while he was going through all of this. He's not going to be 100% but he's going to have a good life. He deserves it. Okay. Now for the unpleasant stuff. We finally got some answers on who that guy is. Was, excuse me. His name is Joshua Linder. He's been keeping a small apartment only a mile away from your house for the last three years. It looks like he's been watching you the whole time. All kinds of things all over his apartment. Did he kill James? No, he couldn't have. Up until three years ago, he lived across the country from you. Even then, there was no way he was driving the car that killed your husband. He was legally blind. What? Not completely blind, but may as well have been. That is his connection to you and your late husband's, I'm afraid. I don't understand. You said he knew things. He shouldn't have, right? Yes. Where the spare key was, um, certain things you shared with your late husband, correct? That's right. Catherine, there's no easy way to say this. So I'm going to say it. You were aware that your husband was an organ donor, right? Were you not? Yeah. It seemed that um, Mr. Linder was the recipient of your husband's corneas after your husband passed. Now how he found out about you, we have no idea. There is some kind of phenomenon that's called cellular memory that frankly I think is... He kept talking, but the only thing on my mind were Stephen's eyes. My little family of three moved far away from home. We now have a house next to my husband's parents, where Casey can go to know her father's parent, and Fivo can go on walks with me while I pull him in his wagon when he gets too tired. I try not to think too much of what happened, but I still have trouble sleeping. And that's the end of the story. Somehow, I knew that he had gotten part of her husband's body it, I'm not sure I didn't when he did there are certain things like him picking the shirt him addressing the dog with the boogie doogie doogie doo in the way like the way right. the story is coming across it's like uh -huh. he is Steven so I thought it was actually maybe the heart that they translated me or too the okay I that's that's what I I was thinking too when I first read the story mm -hmm. and I was like oh it has to be the heart or something like the brain I don't know if they do brain that's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking too. Right. I don't think no, they do so brain I was like, that is so weird but I didn't think of the eyes yeah that's very odd and but wouldn't she have wow you know in the romantic books and movies they always say you fall in love with someone's eyes so would you wouldn't you recognize it i don't know though it's different because in her head the person is dead already that's true so well we didn't you? really like do the make the connection between the two mm -hmm. but the thing that was weird to me i'm like okay true he had the eyes right mm -hmm. cellular memory and all that but why, like, I understand that he does the triangle thing. That's like, you know, cornea, 
you know, he moves the the mugs in the cabinet. Mm-hmm. But why does he say the same thing the husband used to say? Exactly. Like how he used to call the dog. Like, you know, like the boogie, 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 doggy, you know, whatever. Exactly. That's weird to me. How does that... And also the way he calls her. Catherine. <laughs> yeah, and James used to do that. But the part that is scary too is that it feels like Stephen or whoever his real name is is fighting with James for dominance over the body. Because yeah. when he was sleeping, it was like, no, fuck, get out of here. It's mine now. Like, it seems like there was a conflict. Yeah, so he's saying that the eyes are his now, I guess. Probably, or Catherine and Casey. Like, that family. Yeah, the family is his now. Mm-hmm. And also, the fact that he was, his eyes is always are always open That's is that because creepy. he used to be so blind that now he's used to the eyes being open but he was partially blind and even blind people close their eyes to sleep you gotta blink i so, know that's just still <laughs> creepy that's so creepy that is very creepy it doesn't matter how you put it when somebody keeps their eyes open all the time when they're kissing you like sometimes if it's just a quick peck and stuff you know like i i can i can get that but oh uh, the time no fam but, no okay, i'm not but doing i have a question though no, why 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 do people close their eyes when you kiss like why do close try why, kissing with eyes open of the eyes being closed try i it. always wanted to know this so somebody tell me why there's why? A, i think no one should tell you i think you should try it out and figure it out <laughs> figure out why <laughs> try try kissing with your eyes wide open both of y'all and 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 see how that works out for you <laughs> okay steven anyways okay. and then uh, let's let's go to the story you have what's up with the cannibalism i, I want to know because i can't i can't tell you if i don't want to think about it i don't want to think that i would but you mm-hmm. tell me about the story well, 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 I thought you'd never ask. Um, and you in particular, I think, are going to enjoy this for uh, because of your hobbies and interests, I think. Mm, okay. And so it goes, we've been locked in our classroom for days, and our teacher is starting to act very strange. Day one, we had just opened our textbooks to chapter eight when the alarms blared overhead. A red shrubbing light spun by the door as metal slats slid down the wall to seal us in. The others started to stare in panic at their desk. Now, now, class, I'm sure everything is fine, probably just a drill, Mr. Jonas held up his hands in an attempt to soothe the crowd. Just as he was about to open his mouth, Evie came over the intercom. Level 3 Contagion, located in the south quadrant of campus. Lockdown protocol is now in effect. Isolation protocol is now in effect. Oh no, the teacher suddenly looked pale and a little panicked himself. Day 3. I slid my rock across the tile chessboard to overtake Patricia's bishop. She stuck out her tongue in defiance as I removed it from the board. I smirked and then shoved another salting cracker in my mouth. Mr. Juno said we shouldn't be in here much longer. He was probably just taking the CDC a while to quarantine and eradicate the contagion. He said it must be a pretty nasty virus if they're keeping us locked down in our classroom. We have enough snacks for another day or so. It's been difficult to ration properly when all you have are crackers, candy, and canned spray cheese. 
Overall though, we were keeping our hopes up, which was all we could really do. Staying positive for now. Day 5. The room was starting to smell foul. We designated some buckets in the corner as the bathrooms and they were all about half full and beyond putrid. We ran out of food last night. My stomach rumbled with hunger, but I did my best to ignore it. I didn't feel like playing chess or reading anymore. Instead, I just napped at my desk as much as possible to pass the time. I was hoping at any moment I'd be awoken to the doors opening so that I could go home. I miss my parents. Mr. Jonas was losing his composure too. He'd been pretty put together up to this point and ensuring we were all calm, but his eyes looked a little wild now, and he kept pacing the room talking to himself. A few times, I heard him cursing under his breath and then reciting prayers. I really hope we get out of here soon. Day 8 A pounding sound coming from the other side of the classroom pulled me from my dreams. I stayed still to appear asleep but cracked my eyes just enough to watch as the biology teacher smashes her against the steel door over and over again. He was really losing it. Let us out of here, Mr. Jonas screamed as he tossed the chair to the side. I cannot do that, sir. A level 3 contagion has been detected. I have sealed off the affected areas, but you must stay isolated for your safety. The robotic voice hummed over the speakers. He screeched profanities at the camera in the corner of the ceiling. Some of the other boys were becoming aggressive as well. There had been some fights the last couple of mornings. Also, some hands going where they shouldn't be going, back behind the fake plants and the lab equipment. It seemed as if we were slowly devolving, becoming an enclosure of chimpanzees, like one you'd see at the zoo but only hungrier. We needed out, or something terrible was going to happen. Day 10. We'd been on a diet of tap water for the past five days. I felt dizzy every time I stood from my desk. The room would spin and I'd almost black out. I kept my footing by sheer force of willpower. I had this irrational fear that if I passed out, I'd be eaten by my classmates, like a pack of hyenas on a gazelle, feasting on my intestines as they spilled across the tiled floor. It sounded crazy if I said it out loud. But when I looked around the room and saw all the hungry faces, I didn't think the idea was too far-fetched at all. Mr. Jonas hasn't said a word in over 12 hours. He's just been sitting at his desk, carving something into the surface of it with an exacto knife. For the first time today, I had the thought that maybe we weren't going to make it out of this. Maybe we were all going to die in this classroom. I hung my head and cried. Day 13. Mr. Jonas, Mr. Jonas, stop! Micah cried. Don't you see? We have to do this. We need food. It's survival 101. When the pack is suffering and food is scarce, they turn on the weakest member. It's simple bi bi biology. Survival of the fittest. Mr. Jonas had his hands around Trevor's neck, squeezing so hard that the boy's eyes were about to pop from his skull. Trevor struggled beneath him, but he was frail and terribly small for his age. Micah grabbed a large beaker from the table and lifted it high over his head. Mr. Jonas, stop now! Don't make me do this! But the teacher was long gone. His eyes gleamed with delight as drool dripped down his chin from salivating at the thought of a meal. I jumped to my feet as Micah brought the beaker down as hard as he could onto Mr. Jonas's head. It shattered to pieces on impact, knocking the teacher out cold. 
I helped Micah push him off Trevor. The poor kid was wheezing and gasping for air as tears streamed down his face. You're right, it's okay, you're right. Micah, pat Micah patted the kid on the back, trying to calm him as he wailed. Suddenly, there was a scream like a war cry, and Mr. Jonas was airborne. He leaped across the desk and plowed into Micah. They both went sprawling across the tile. Micah resisted him, but Mr. Jonas ended up on top and began dropping his elbows viciously onto Micah's face, causing blood to spew from his nose and mouth. Static filled my mind. I didn't think. I only reacted. I reached down and picked up a hunk of glass from the broken beaker, grabbed Mr. Jonas' shaggy hair, and pulled it back to extend his neck. I pulled the glass through the meat of his throat as hard as I could. I'd never seen so much blood before. It poured in a waterfall across Micah's chest. Mr. Jonas fell to the side once more, this time never to get up again. I stared at my blood-soaked hands. I felt nothing. No remorse. No fear. Only static. Suddenly, the metal slats retracted into the ceiling and the door swung open. Lockdown protocol has been lifted. Please continue with your regular schedules. Lockdown protocol has been lifted. Her cheery robotic voice seemed so distant and out of place now. The other students gathered around me, just staring at the pool of blood. I think it was the hunger talking, but a part of me wanted to know what it tasted like. I think the others did too. Thankfully, before that could happen, a man in a suit strolled into the classroom. Hello, class. His perfect teeth gleamed under the LEDs. Before we could say anything, a team of adults in overalls poured into the room. Some began taking pictures of everything. Others started cleaning up Mr. Jonas. One man with gray hair dropped a large box on the teacher's desk and opened it. He then started throwing fresh fruit and granola bars to each of the students. We devoured everything he gave us. I started to feel more like myself after two bananas and four granola bars. They, they tasted like heaven, a sweet salvation. The first man with the nice teeth in the expensive suit waited until we were all done before he addressed us again. I know it's been a long 13 days, guys. I appreciate you all hanging in there. I've alerted each of your parents that you've been cleared to go home. The classroom erupted in cheers as we all hugged each other. Even Micah, covered in gore, danced around excitedly. You'll all be able to go home soon, but first, I just need to do a little debrief with each of you before you go. I'm going to set up in the consul's office, and Mr. Moses here is going to bring you down one by one to give your account on what happened here during isolation. We nodded our heads in agreement. Anything to get out of here. Mr. Moses... The men with the gray hair and the snacks took us down one by one and we spilled our guts to the men with the nice teeth. When I gave my story on what it was like, I still felt numb. Even when describing it now, how it killed Mr. Jonas, I just felt nothing. It wasn't until I'd gotten home that evening that I'd broken down and wept. Once I was in my mother's arms, I cried and cried until I couldn't anymore. Then I ate more food than I had ever had. I shoveled pasta down my throat until I thought my stomach would burst. It was a good feeling. To be full. To be human again. Years later, I was at university. A whistleblower had leaked that what we'd injured at the school was a government cover-up for a top-secret experiment. There had been no virus, no contagion. 
it began as an experiment to test the artificial intelligence system that they had at the school. But then it morphed into a social experiment to see how long it would last before someone was murdered or severely harmed, to test the boundaries of civility and moral character under immense pressure, just in case there was a real issue with the code in the AI. And this scenario actually became a reality somewhere else. When I'd killed Mr. Jonas, it had ended the experiment. The news made me sick to my stomach. I was angry and disgusted for weeks. I was okay with it now though. You see, Trevor, Trevor may have been small, the weakest member of the pride perhaps, but he was also a genius. With his hacking expertise, we're able to locate Mr. Nicedeeth and Mr. Moses. It's been six days so far, and every time they scream and hit the door of a chair, I just can't help but smile. It's a little experiment a few of us are conducting. It will end when someone is murdered or severely injured. Maybe. Whoa. And that's the end of the story. Whoa. First of all, I'm mm-hmm. just going to say, you 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 were mad wrong by saying that my which the whole time you start i'm like okay which part of my hobbies come into this which which part i of know man i lied to you just to make wow. sure your full attention I can't no no okay i just crazy wow yeah. experiment the fact that they the government was comfortable using people's kids for 13th day just to see when anyone will kill or eat somebody somebody had to be murdered it's or... crazy that's crazy Injured. and i think mr 19th nice teeth deserve exactly what what what's uh-huh. like i think yeah. i i i wanna i wanna know which link i need to follow on the dark web just need an experiment because you know uh probably the red room you need to find the red yeah. room that's why they do that yeah. um don't ask me how i know <laughs> but, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, i just watch luther on netflix that's how mm-hmm. um no when i <laughs> what i meant by um you'd be i just wanted to keep you on the edge of your seat the whole time and no. see how <laughs> impact your um and they didn't even bring them system. food or was was the crackers and canned cheese what they gave them because the doors were locked the whole time because they ran out of yeah. food too and also they starved them That's and they went they like had. five days on water mm-hmm. yeah the first 10 or so days they were able to um not 10 eight days they were able to ration their food and stuff but after day nine they didn't have much to ration so in a situation like this i think i would like to think that i'll be able to ration well but it Mm -hmm. doesn't matter whether you ration or not if Mm -hmm. everybody runs out of their food and you have food you're done target yeah, so you might as well. They will still just rub yours. And if, so there's yeah. really no way, unless you're the strongest person there with the yes. with the most brain cells, which most of the time doesn't really work that way. Yeah. The strongest, the people with the biggest muscles don't tend to like also the be the strongest. The strongest and the smartest, 
I mean, I'm not, you know, yeah. not, but most of the time, I'm just going to say from movies that we in the see, movie, I know, in the movie, it doesn't always work that way. So that's true. Wow. So, but I love the ending and I thought you might too. Yeah. So. The ending was satisfying. Definitely. All right. So you have another story. What's yeah. It's, I'm, I'm sure um, well, you didn't answer my the... hobbies. You did, but you still didn't answer the question. question. Would you rather be homeless or murdered by your partner? Oh, I'll comfort? be homeless. I'll be homeless in a heartbeat. What? Be murdered? Okay. I'll be okay, homeless. Sure. N- okay. No daily shower? Sure. Man. I mean, no <laughs> nothing compared to no daily showers. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. you don't want that comfort. You like your life. Okay. Mm-hmm. So this goes. The homeless in my neighborhood don't just want change. Two whole years ago, my wife Angie and I decided it was finally time to buy a house. We knew it was anything but a buyer's market, but we were sick of paying triple what a mortgage would be in rent every month. I'm sure this story is familiar to some of you. We went through every stage of disbelief, anger, and finally, apathy. After every competitive offer we put together was blown out but blown out of the water by a multinational investment corporation. I'm not mad about the process anymore, although it left me questioning where society was headed. How is this legal? I went to school, I paid off debt, I got a good job, I did everything right to still get priced out of the fucking city I grew up in. Perhaps some anger remains, but after setting out our sights on the city's less desirable neighborhoods, we finally got our home. On June 1st, we moved into a 4,500 square foot colonial. It had hardwood floors that patinated like a leather, and the frosted plaster trim gave the ceilings the look of a wedding cake. The basement was a different story. It wasn't just unfinished, it was dank. It was a hole in the ground, scribbled on the walls were strange spirals and crude faces. Kids, the writer had said like she knew who drew the markings. Fixing up the basement would be quite the value builder. So sure, the kitchen had composite counters and the basement needed a sign above the entrance that read, abandon all hope, yeah, who enter here. But we had a home and a damn big one at that. The catch was that it was a stone's throw from the freeway and that the area was known for its crime more than anything else. Angie said it was just a stepping stone. We'd bank a year's worth of mortgage and hope the housing market keeps rocketing and move again in a year. There were some flaws in her plan, mainly money, but I didn't say anything. I figured we'd both adjust to like it here. The first few weeks went smooth and me and my wife got to unpacking and introducing ourselves to the neighbors. Maybe it was the threat of crime and that there was comfort and purpose in knowing who you live next to. But whatever it was, our neighbors were incredibly friendly. We felt at home quick and while there were some shocks, we made games out of them to take the fear away. With the pops that permeated the night, we had the game where we guessed whether the sound was fireworks or gunshots. When we passed large turds, one of us would point and we played human or dog. Unfortunately, after just a couple weeks at this game, we became experts at differentiating between these. Gunshots carried the sharp crack of the sound barrier being broken, while fireworks go boom or pop. As for the poop, 
let's just say that we hadn't seen any dogs large enough to lay landmines around town. There was a homeless problem there for sure. But they minded their own business. All neighbors seemed to see right around, right through them. They did act as if they were ghosts. Like they weren't even there. Hell, everyone did. I'd smile and say hello in passing. The least I could do was treat them like human beings. One night after a movie, I was at the sink washing the popcorn bowl. The window above looks out to the to our backyard, which was heavily wooded for a city lot. When it was dark out, I could only see a sliver of what was outside, beyond the reflection of myself in the glass. I frowned at the shadow of a tall, dark stump. I don't remember a tree there. I swayed on my feet to see past my reflection. In between the bushes, nearly out of sight, a man was standing still, staring back at me. My heart leaped and I dropped the bowl where it crashed in the sink. You okay in there, honey? Angie shouted from the living room. Yeah! I kept my eyes out on the man and said nothing to Angie, not wanting to alarm her. I'm going to take the trash out. Okay! I walked by the trash without touching it and opened the back door. Hello? Outside, the wind was blowing hard, and the branches of the buckthorn the men stood behind were waving wildly as if to warn me. What do you want? I stepped forward to try and show I wasn't scared, but it was the tepid step of prey, like I was better planting my way to run. The men said nothing. I took another step forward, more confidently this time, but jumped when my movement activated the motion light. I composed myself and yelled, This is a private property! If you don't leave, I'm calling the police! Now, this was the emptiest of threats, and everybody in the neighborhood knew it. The cops made a point to show up an hour late, if at all. The man walked forward a few paces to where I could see him better. He was very tall and wore a heavy wool overcoat that stretched all the way to his ankles. As he kept walking towards me, my brain was shouting, but I froze in fear. What do you want? He stopped just in front of me. A white scar starred across his black skin just below the chin. He was at least six foot six, but the coat that ran the entire length of his body made him gigantic. His face was recently shaven and gaunt. He held out his fist at arm's length, where he uncurled his fingers, cupped in his enormous palm was a pill. I don't have any drugs, I said. His face didn't change any. There was no want or question in his eyes. You want me to take it? I pointed at his hand, but still his expression was static. I reached out and gently plucked the pill from his palm. I held it between my forefinger and thumb. It was just a pill capsule. Whatever had been inside had been emptied. What do you want? I asked again. He opened his mouth, revealing the severed stump of a tongue, and then he widened the enormous whites of his eyes. He began to mouth something, but being tongueless, I couldn't tell what. But my blood cooled because I felt certain it was some kind of curse. Please, I murmured, please leave. He turned and stepped into the night, and I watched the bushes sway in his wake as if he were a giant, parting his way through the woods. The next day was Saturday, and I was determined to find out if anyone knew about this tall man. 
I walked to the strip mall and asked some of the homeless in the area. But as soon as I began to describe him, they all looked at the ground and shook their heads. The pattern was repeated with every other homeless person I tried to talk to. On my way home, I stopped by two men working on a car at the end of a driveway. Hey, I started over to them. This may sound a little crazy, but do you know of a tall fellow around here that wears a giant coat? They both started laughing. Sorry to waste your time, I turned and go. No, no, one of them was waving by. You talking about a really big motherfucker? The man raised his hand to signify. Yeah, hi, black coat, nasty scars. Yeah, I know that. Well, that's tall Frank. Why do you want to know about him? You see him in your recycling? No, why? Tall Frank's a can man. He makes his living that way. I nodded. He was acting weird in my backyard last night. Mm, weird how? Was he just looking like his weird self? No, he was staring at me from outside. When I went out, he tried to say something or mouth something. Both of their brows rose. You saying that tall Frank tried to communicate with you? Yeah. They both looked at each other. Tall Frank talks to nobody. And by talks, I mean communicating in any kind of way. He cut his own throat to never talk again, the other chimed in. That's just a rumor. Tall Frank showed up in this neighborhood 20 years ago. No one knows where he came from, and the man can tell you. Yeah, people put all kinds of legends to those cars. Some say it was a dog that bit him, but I never seen no dog that'll slice your tongue out. If he, if he doesn't communicate with anyone, how come he has the name Tall Frank? Mm, well, that's just what my mama would call him. He leaned closer to me. She used to tell me to watch my tongue or Tall Frank will take it. He chuckled to himself. Um, what do you think he wanted with me? They both shrugged. No clue, but you'll be sure to tell us when you find out. They bent back to their work and I thanked them and went on far less assured than when I'd first set out. The next several days, there was no sign of Tall Frank, but I began to fall ill. It was a headache at first. But soon, I had heart palpitations and body aches that I almost let me take to the emergency room. I assured myself that there was no such thing as curses. Why was I letting one strange encounter with a homeless man dominate my every thought? Angie was working late recently, and when I had the house to myself at night, I would stand at the kitchen window and stare into the backyard. I was obsessed, and it wasn't long before I saw him again. I was wrapped up in a blanket, filling the teapot at the sink when I saw him standing in the same place as before. I dropped the pot and ran to the back door. Hey! My head felt light and I was in that same kind of drunken state where you fear, where your fear hardly speaks to you. I scampered through the backyard over to him. What do you want with me? Tall Frank was staring at me. He gestured with his car, he, he gestured with his car neck to follow me. I looked down at my bare feet, but he was already walking. Hey, just leave us alone. I stepped cautiously after him. When I got past the bushes where I could see the alley, I saw him standing near the trash cans. I ran after him. You, I don't ever want to see you in my backyard again. With our difference in size and the blanket wrapped around my shoulders, I'm sure I looked to him like some angry hobbit. He certainly didn't act intimidated, and I can't blame him. 
Tall Frank crossed the alley and sat on the crumbling retaining wall. He gently tapped the stone next to him for me to sit. I'm not fucking sitting. He reached into his breast pocket and paused before pulling out an envelope. Then he put the letter in his other hand and reached in again and pulled out another. What are those? He extended the envelopes to me. His long arm nearly stretched the entire alley. I approached the letters cautiously, snatching them and stepping back. What are these? I muttered, already distracted. They had both been open and I took the papers out of one of the envelopes. It was a handwritten letter on college rolled paper. All the ink was smeared like it'd been dunked in water, but I could still read it albeit slowly. When I was done reading, I let my arm fall down to my side and stared at tall Frank in disbelief. Angie had a lover. I looked at the other envelope and hardly had to read it to figure it out. The letter had read, Atlantic Life Insurance. A policy had been opened in my name for a quarter of a million dollars. I stumbled over the retaining wall and sat. The pills! I thought about the empty capsule he'd shown he'd showed me that I tossed aside. It was my emergency albuterol. It had to be. A quick WebMD search showed that an overdose started with symptoms of headaches and heart palpitations. Angie's trying to kill me? Suddenly, I realized that tall Frank's arm was around me and he was patting my shoulder paternally. We sat there in silence for a long time. The things you can learn from people's recycling, I said. Tall Frank nodded and we watched the upstairs light turn on and my wife appeared in the window. She twisted something in her fingers and then tapped it into a mug. A minute later, I heard the back door open. Honey, are you out here? Angie called. I made you some tea. I guess the homeless around here don't always want change. Sometimes they might want to save your life. And that's the end. (laughs) Tall Frank was trying to save his life this whole time? Yeah. Because he was going through... Tall Frank makes his living by recycling people's um, trash and Mm -hmm. trash cans more specifically. So, yeah. Wow. Also... Uh, the wife is not really that good because why would right. you throw something like that just in the trash i would burn recycling. it right why would you just <laughs> want to recycle you you're she... so mindful of the earth but not of the life that you want to take oh shots fired damn like, what? <laughs> i mean that's the whole point she's very mindful to poison him every day yeah, wow. she wants. When she was getting the house, no wonder she knew she would have the money to move in a year. She's like, right, she won't be right. Here. She's like, well, the money I will get after I kill you. Exactly. This money is gonna be good, good money. I'm gonna move Precisely. to the nicest part. And on top mm-hmm. of the money I'll make from selling this place, true, good life. Mm-hmm. I see. Yeah. So, but the the homeless, he he has nothing to gain. He's like, hey, I. I'm going through a trash and I saw this. I thought you might know, like, recognize this feel? Oh, okay. Well, I tried. And then he came mm. again. He was like, listen, I'm not trying to do nothing. I just want to save your life. Like, just so you know, maybe you want, again, it's a choice. Your it's life a is choice. a choice. You, you know, know, this is this is what it is. 
and mm-hmm. you pick again yeah but in this that. case he doesn't have to be homeless he doesn't have. he does not because no. she's about to be homeless is what this <laughs> yeah she's not I'm even going to take half she's about to go to jail yeah so <laughs> definitely i mean not homeless but <laughs> yeah like yeah. At, at least jail i would hope you know yeah uh, but yeah that was Eesh. that was the story i watch i, I, I uh huh i hope if i were him i would pretend not to i would not eat or drink anything that she serves me i will get better and pretend it's thanks to her treating me so well and taking such good care of me just to drive her a little insane um maybe not for too yeah. long you know she was because... stabbing me asleep could you take me right. too long to die what it has about? to be it has to be a natural death insurance yeah you can't just kill anybody well, when it's for somebody that already decided to kill someone is not in the right mind like it's just already somebody that's evil so yeah. if she already wants you dead and then you keep not dying and then she's annoyed <laughs> you'd be like you know what f all i will this. expedite f all of this you know mm-hmm. you might want to do it and just say that oh somebody broke in and try to blame the homeless, uh, one of the homeless and also yeah. the, the 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 neighborhood is not so secure yeah. she'd be like you know tall frank has been coming here and the homeless Aww. used to live down there somebody might have came and then uh, stopped in and you're too good at this you're I'm not too good saying. at planning people's murder i'm not talking about planning i'm trying to escape death <laughs> is what i'm saying you trying to you you're are the right. one trying to go back in and act like <laughs> you're eating the food man that's why i tell you always check on check with me because you, you can't you eat to set yourself up. Else. i know right i mm. know that's why see people that's why you need to have first that's why you need to listen to our podcast and that's why you need yeah, to have good yeah. friends if you listen to this you would know what not to do you exactly welcome, by the way you're welcome just don't kill people just don't try to kill people <laughs> or at least don't get caught wow just don't kill people don't. i'm kidding i'm it, kidding okay you gonna get caught I'm why you shouldn't you do will it. yes you just shouldn't man just move away walk away you right know? it's There's not so worth many it. so many continents so many countries on this earth you could be somewhere exactly. that you would not even cross paths no. like ever mm-hmm. exactly do that move yeah. away hmm? anyways yeah. that is all i had for you today those and are good stories yeah. those were good well Good. thank you guys for listening let us know what you think of the stories like always and we leave mm-hmm. the links in the show notes and in the description on youtube that's where you're listening to us and until next time thank you for listening bye bye Doodoo. Doodoo.